This is Game Theory, our podcast about competition, strategy, and decision-making, hosted by me, Nick Andrews, and my brother, Chris. In this episode, it's time to pay the piper. On April 18th, pretty much every U.S. citizen will owe a record of their taxes to the federal government. For some of us, that simply means proving that you paid your taxes throughout the year, and for others, it means it's time to write a check to the federal government or various local governments. They will, hopefully, use that money on things we need to run a society. But what if we all don't pay? What if a single one of us doesn't pay? What's the punishment? Is it enough to make us all compliant? How can the government enact strict enough punishment to make sure that people pay their taxes without overstepping its power so as to cause some sort of revolt? Are fines and jail time enough? Well, the short answer is yes, but that doesn't mean the situation is simple. There is a basic human emotion at play every time this year. Guilt. Will you feel too guilty to not pay your taxes? Will the government capitalize on your guilt? And welcome to episode 67 of Game Theory, a podcast about competition strategy and decision making. And um, I don't know if the rest... Asking you shall receive. Yeah, asking you shall receive. I don't know if the rest of you out there are feeling it, but these last couple weeks, about, about, about six weeks, has just been a weird, lethargic time in my life. I don't get it. I'm trying so hard to care about stuff, and it's not depression. I just... It feels colder than it has been. It just feels like everyone's in a funk of like, we're tired. Everyone's just like, we're tired, dude. We need to not do. Let's go back to the pandemic. I don't know what it is, but it feels like we're just kind of collectively in need of a breather. It, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like in the extended Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. when Mary and Pippin go into the forest and they're like kind of snoozy and they like end up falling asleep and getting trapped in the tree. No, that really happens in the first book, but they do it, I think, in the second movie when they sure. meet Treebeard. Anyway, it feels like that. It feels like everybody's just like, Kind of ready, ready to lay low, but yeah. if we relax, it's not going to be restful. Right. It's going to be kind of detrimental. Maybe it's going to be irritating at best. And then when we get up, we're going to realize, well, shoot, I got to record a damn podcast or something. <laughs> and I just don't have time or energy for that. Yeah, no time or energy. I remember uh, we were going to record our uh, special tax day episode on the day before, of course, because that would be smart. And then you were like, let's right. watch... The Red Wings game, and they went down three to nothing. And they're a team that's not going to make the playoffs. They went down three to nothing. I want to say, like, before you would have actually sat down in your seat if you were at the arena. Yeah, they they played exactly like a team that is not going to make it into the playoffs yeah. this year. And they played against a team that is very much in the playoffs this twice. Year. The last two games they've had, t- they've played teams that like very much need to win, and like, oh well, let's see what they can do. And those teams are like, we need to win very badly, and like, oh, we're kind of fucking around. <laughs> Well, Nick, you and I had a crappy enough sports career that we played spoiler a lot of times. We yeah. was like, okay, well, you know, we're not playing for anything, but we can make life miserable for somebody else. Detroit's the opposite of a spoiler. Yeah. They were exactly the opposite. They were, like, really helpful. It's like, hey, you guys need a win. There's nothing we can do to succeed, so we'll fail spectacularly and make life easier. They didn't, Dallas didn't play their goalie. 
in the third period mm-hmm. um, for fun. For fun. Well, to save him. He's too good. He's super important. Yeah. So Load management. Today's the NBA episode, is creeping into the NHL now. I mean, it, it, it's they're making the same point that we're making. There are too many games. And what too if many. I slept instead of worked today? <laughs> they should, once you get eliminated, you should be disbanded like the team should be just gone i agree well they shouldn't they shouldn't have to finish the season i kind of agree with that like why nobody's watching nobody's making any money all the people at the stadium are sad i mean i suppose some of the vendors make money anyway that's not this episode this episode is about is about taxes but uh i wanted so paying your taxes and like how the government gets us to take taxes and how they've done that historically and various governments and whatnot okay but before we get to that uh new logo for the one-year anniversary about a week or two ago. Did you see it? What do you think? I did. I like it. I, I, I like that it's kind of got uh, almost like an oldie-worldie sort of vibe, but yeah. very much like a in a world where you could create your own designs. I think it's a pretty good one. I think yeah. it's a pretty solid <laughs> renovation of, of the logo, and I'm, I'm excited to, to bring that kind of old-school because we don't really have a throwback. I mean, what the hell are we going to throw back to two years ago when we were doing the same thing but with <laughs> yeah. nobody listening? And now our parents are listening and we have a different logo. Yeah, so I, I changed it to Parchment White because I feel like we do a lot of, like, we have that vibe of, like, library bookish people, but not so much, not so sexy that, like, it's cool or smart. It's just, like, we're in the library. Yeah, we got we have like IKEA bookshelves yeah, behind exactly. us for those of you Correct. watching on YouTube. I think you can watch on Spotify. You can watch on Spotify right. sometimes. I may or may not. We want you to watch it on YouTube. If you're gonna watch, watch on YouTube. Listen on Spotify. Watch but, on YouTube. But don't uh judge us for our IKEA furniture of which we have multiple pieces in the back. Your desk is pretty sick. That's not the desk IKEA. is That's not IKEA. Show. It was made by a farmer in Missouri. We got it on Etsy and it is pretty sweet. It's like a standing That's desk awesome. and a, yeah, I, I love it quite a bit. Okay, so logo, like the logo. Um, the second year logo was busy and I thought that that was a design trend and I thought it was okay. It was not great. It was okay, but we're going to, I'm going to keep doing sure. this every year. Maybe, maybe I'll hold the contest or whatever. So the Graphic other thing I want to talk passion. about, it is design. I mean, obviously I know a ton, a ton about it clearly. Yeah. It's been a lot of time studying. That was in, it was one of your curriculum focuses with your, remind me what degree you got again? General studies. General studies. That's studying the general from like those car insurance commercials. Yes. Correct. For a great City low rate, general. you can save some time. Or you can find online. I, I forget how it goes. Yeah, Sorry, I'm not a general studies. <clears throat> Honestly, if it mm, had just been Adobe products, just learning the Adobe software, maybe some other engineering software would have been a, the best degree of all Excel. time. Excel would have been useful if you had learned Excel, but you didn't. Nope. No that's one self-taught. Did. That's that's a school hard knocks no one learned Excel, Excel education right there. Speaking of uh, software, let's, <laughs> let's talk about <laughs> Spotify. <laughs> So we don't utilize the poll feature enough. I don't know. We know that at least a third of you or so listen on Spotify, which are you can do polls. The rest of you have to like navigate to another app in order to do a poll. So maybe we, and some people use the polls and the prompts in Spotify to yell at us and be like, this is not factually accurate. And we say, well, well, check this out. Actually, it is. We just didn't say it right. Yeah. Like that time we got the email from somebody about how we were wrong on the money hall problem, like the exact thing that we called out in the episode. Mm-hmm. We got a response on that. So if it. If, if you have a complaint, whether it's right or wrong, you don't have to be right in order to complain. That's the beautiful thing about this country. Yeah, and the Monty Hall problem is a, is, a, is a brain teaser. I had my wife explain to me for seven minutes, like a child, why there have to be left-handed scissors. And I'll be honest with you, I don't get it. I don't care to know now. I don't care. It doesn't make sense. It's not real. Wait, what? There are left-handed scissors. Remember when we were in grade school? There are left-handed scissors. And I was like, how can that be? It's a fulcrum. It's a thing. It doesn't work. And she's like, no, but it does this. Like, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care. We're not getting into it. It's like, I... Like a small I child. I care now. Dude, it, no, don't do this. Have you seen Have you seen those left-handed mugs? Yes. Have you ever seen those? Oh, yeah, well, I have, yeah, a, like I a, have one of the right-handed ones that you slip your hand in, yeah. No, 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 no. It's, 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 it's like a regular mug, but instead, 
you you would have the handle on on the opposite side because I'm not a left hander, and there's a hole in the mug right here so that if you were to try to drink it with your right hand, it would like fall out. They're they have to be super tall to get the regular amount of liquid in there, what is and the it has to be tall enough so that you can't cover the hole with your lip or yeah. something. So you can only drink it using your left hand, if assuming you're using the handle. They're kind of cool, They're fun little novelty gifts. But uh, oh, that is funny. Yeah, I mean, they're only for the left-handed people in our lives, which, like, I think mathematically is, like, I don't know, 25% of the population. Shout out to Anthony. I know they used to think it was uh, an aversion. Anyway, Spotify, on the Spotify poll, we want to use the poll. We kicked around a newsletter for a while. That was a lot of work. The newsletter's not dead, though. The newsletter is dormant. We might kick... Yeah, we might uh, we might we defibrillate that down the road. Stay tuned on that because it was a lot of fun doing, and I found some stuff that is not worth covering in the show. And so perhaps we will perhaps no promises. We shall see. It would be in the fall if it were to happen. Uh, I had also kicked around a book club. I downloaded. I told you this app called Fable, where I couldn't tell yeah. how they made money. I figured it out. So book clubs, obviously, it's an app, so they sell your data. But um, <laughs> they also are a rival to uh, Kindle. They have eBooks. And the, the, the book clubs are pretty good. There are, most of the book clubs have like 20 or 30 people, but there are a couple with a couple thousand, mostly fantasy people, obviously. That, that, that kind of checks. The, the, the people who join book clubs on an app and the people who are on quote-unquote book talk yes. are that, like the Venn diagram of those people is a circle. It is a circle. So I, And I'm reading a fantasy book right now that I'm quite enjoying. I'm trying to find a group of people on the internet to talk to about it. I'm like, oh, this will be fun. And like, no one's reading my book, but they were reading a bunch of adjacent-ish books in the fantasy realm. What fantasy realm. book are you reading right now that nobody else is reading? Well, no one's reading on this app. Everybody's reading it. It's incredibly oh. popular. It's called The Theft of Swords. And I wanted to... Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I wanted to talk about it with somebody that was reading it. And it's like, well, I wonder if this book club thing, they'll have some people. But then I found they have a business section. The business section has one of the bigger book clubs, and it's run by TED Talks. They have a TED Talk book club. There's also a, one, one of those famous billionaire people, Ramsey or one of them, Acker, somebody has a book club, Gordon and Ramsey. nobody, no, no, the annoying one, the money one. <laughs> yeah, the Gordon Ramsay is actually not the annoying Ramsay. Uh, Dave Ramsay. Dude, dude, look, I don't care what anybody says, I'm a Gordon Ramsay guy. Me, me the too. The Gordon Ramsay guy. You can get all kinds of cool recipes. You can watch people's lives melt down in front of them on camera. In kitchen yes, nightmares. Big fan. Awesome. Um, but I saw that there were, there were book clubs there, and I thought that maybe we could do that. We have our friend Justin's book, The Price is, yes. the price is Wrong. Justin Burger's book, Solving the Price is Right. Uh, available at bookstores near you. Yeah, available at Barnes & Noble. Noble. Absolutely. You can get that. So maybe we do that. We talk about bowling alone constantly. You quoted a book about the dystopian something last time. Like maybe we should do a book club uh, for the people. So we're kicking that idea around and we should use the poll more. And the last thing I want to use for the poll is we are for real going to do Game Theory Awards this year. Player of the Year, Game of the Year, Conundrum of the Year. I don't know. We'll figure out the categories. And we're going to do it with the academic calendar because this Julian year starting in June bullshit is stupid. Uh, the, the year ends in June. <laughs> The year can does not start in January. Okay, okay. Can, can you imagine how embarrassing it must have been for the Romans yeah. when Caesar implemented the Julian calendar? They're like, you know, we're right a lot of the time, but every yeah. once in a while we look up in June and it's <laughs> like snowy. And we don't yeah. know what to do about that. And he says, fam, I got you. Different numbers. <laughs> we're going to add a whole other month. We're like, well, what does that mean? He's like, well, don't worry about it. It's just another month. Yeah. Sorry, we fucked it up. We'll just keep adding to it. I'll just keep shameful. I did read that there there are a bunch of like we should do a, a show on calendars with like how how people track time and like the way yeah. people track time is really interesting. Like I, I I think I mentioned once like there's not really ancient or medieval references to the the concept of a week. Yeah, like the the, the, the period of seven days that we consider like the base like the heartbeat of modern American life like didn't really exist back then because there wasn't like the nine to five. You know there were no white collar jobs in medieval Europe. 
You know, right. they, in, in the ancient world, they weren't really clocking in and clocking out their 40 hours a week. They, they, there, there aren't any references. To that. So that, that's really interesting. And then I know like the, the, the ancient Aztecs used to do 360 days. Yep. And then they would have like a five-day dead period. It's not like a festival, but it's also not like, it, it's not quite the Sabbath like the modern equivalent of like you know the the, the strict like aesthetic interpretation of the Sabbath where you can't do anything yeah it, it, but like nothing happened for there's like a weird five day period on the calendar and it was like kind of eerie and I read about it in that book but so I the Aztecs had the period between Christmas and New Year's yeah they they essentially <laughs> they essentially pioneered that concept where yeah. nobody really does anything for a stretch of about five days love that uh, I just call that working yeah. But and um, they, they really pioneered it in a formal way. So, yeah, that's a good transition to our topic today, which is taxes and how they get us to agree to taxes. I do love medieval history. I would not call myself a scholar. I do read books. I wouldn't week. call you a scholar either. No one would, um, no. especially anybody that has taught me anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, but they, I, they barely even call you a student. But I do, I do like to read from the medieval period. I like to read things that are just like a, like a tick above what you would get at Barnes & Noble. I read that stuff too, sure. but I also like like kind of like textbooky stuff. I like I. I have some behind me, um, and the, they. You're right. There are no weeks. There are months. The moon. We're obsessed with the moon, of course. Yeah. And we're going to segue into taxes now, because back in the day, of course, you pay fealty to the crown. The crown owns everything, whichever kingdom you're in, and blah blah blah. You owe this to this person. This person owes that to that person. And there are two in, in medieval Europe. There are two competing crowns, essentially, which is like whatever empire you're a part of, and the Catholic Church, which is essentially an empire. The way that they enforced uh, paying taxes was that they would kill you if you didn't. Well, there were also debtors' prisons. Yes, I, 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 I you know, I'm also not a historian. Mm. I'm also not a scholar. No, but I remember distinctly learning about like it, it would have been like 13th century England when the Magna Carta was drafted and the concept of like individual dignity and and rights sort of became a political force. And I remember learning in about that time period about like debtors prisons. And it, it was so whack. The teacher said that people who would fail to pay their taxes or like pay, fail to pay their lords, like their fealty to their lords and, and the people who like owned the land on which they worked, if they failed to pay, they would become a debtor yes. and they would owe this like kingdom or fiefdom or whatever money. And as punishment for not paying it, they would be imprisoned. But the only way to get out of prison is to make more money because you need to pay off the debt in order to get out of prison. So you basically are screwed for life. And like, and I'm not talking like a modern penitentiary with like sanitation and personal space and food and any of that kind of stuff. Like they just like throw you in a box, they throw you in a cage with a bunch of other debtors and parade you through the town square and say, like, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't pay your taxes. Like, how do we get out of here? Well, you can pay your taxes, but I can't work. I'm like, well, sorry, shouldn't have gotten in prison. Yeah, that's, which is kind of, that is the shit show of all of this. And now, if you've been on the lawyer part of TikTok, which I have, because lawyers are, lawyers are fun. They make the best content because they're really good at public speaking and they have a lot of knowledge and they really hate their lives. So those three things combine into just some great content. <laughs> lawyers, doctors, yeah, generally. Do well, with doctors, it's a little different because not all of them are great at public speaking. So they kind of, That's true. but the ones that are, they, uh, they're super famous. There's one doctor who just, his bit is just making fun of the different specialties and he's mega famous. He's amazing because he gets the specialties exactly correct. Um, but for the, for the lawyer part of, of um, TikTok, I found the content is basically like the criminal justice system and the tax system and the fine system is just poor people and homeless people that 
are just continually cycled through and they just take all their money and all of this stuff. But then the New York Times, of course, had a podcast recently, last year, this year, it was like, why don't billionaires pay taxes? Like, okay, so there is way, there are ways to get out of this. And there's a, situ- there's a game, the game is afoot here, Watson, on how to pay taxes, how not to pay taxes, the American system and, and whatnot. So let's get into... American Tax Day, which is always in, uh, Tuesday in April. Um, if you need to file an extension, I'm sure the government's like, yeah, whatever. But which is a slippery slope. Well, for them. well mm-hmm. yeah. Without revealing any information, yeah. Some people, yes, may not have always filed their taxes on time, and some people may have had to write to the tax place in Ogden. <laughs> to get an extension they may or may not have they may or may not have we will never know but nick i do want to hit you with some with some numbers here Here, okay so this is directly from the treasury website this is the fiscal data database on the public facing treasury website so here's a quiz question for you how much revenue has the u.s government collected this year so the government revenue income is income received from taxes and other sources so like fines basically Mm. The U.S. government has collected how much money so far in 2023? Ballpark. $100 billion. Not even close. $1.73 trillion. That's fiscal year to date. So the U.S. government's fiscal calendar begins in October. So starting October 2022 to date, the U.S. government has, we're, and we're recording this in April, recording this like right around the tax deadline. Yeah, tax time. U.S. Yeah. government has collected $1.73 trillion from uh, from. Basically, it's tax base. So compared to the federal revenue of $1.81 trillion for the same period last year, so that's October 21 to February of 22, yeah. federal revenue has actually gone down by about $72 billion. So that's interesting. I don't, I don't really know what to make of that. I don't know if that has anything to do with, like, I, I, I don't follow tax legislation super closely, uh, but I do know that the government collects a lot of money from income and other sources, which is to say fines. Right, and the budget keeps going into trillions and trillions of dollars. And I remember when we were growing up in Wyoming where they hated Barack Obama quite a bit, there were billboards that were just like these counters of counting the federal debt. And I was like, well, how do you know? Are you tracking it? Is this plugged into anything? It's like, oh, no, it's not. It's just a number spinner that they got. That there's like, This is the debt, and sometimes they probably reset it to be correctly. Like, okay, at a certain point, for those of us that are not in finance or in government, our eyes gloss over, and I actually imagine most of the people in government, their eyes also gloss over. About like where is all this money? Who's doing it? Yep. What's happening here? Um, so, th- for America, and this is something that people get incorrect historically all the time. This country is not founded on freedom of religion. That is a part of it. This country is founded on freedom of not being born into a system where the Medici's and the Windsors and the Bourbons and all of those people just kind of win the game and you can't even play the game. America was founded to be the Wild West. If you work hard and you're talented and you uh, lack empathy, you can climb the ladder. That sounds about right. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. In Europe, that is just simply not the case. There's no appetite for growth. There's no appetite for uh, ingenuity. And if there is, there's, and it's better now, but especially back in the 1700s and the 1800s, there was no effort to be every man for himself, do the best you can, whatever. The other part of it was that they did not want to pay taxes. This country hates taxes more than it loves anything. Like, ooh, guns. Like, nope. We hate taxes. We are in a medical system that is going to bankrupt the existence of our country because we will not be paying more taxes for medicine. We will not be paying it for roads. We do not pay taxes here. The, the curious thing to me is 
this, uh, you, you, everybody's heard the famous quip about taxation without representation. That's one of the big complaints that the colonists right. had for, for the, the king of England when right. they were declaring independence. I've heard that bandied about in a couple of different places. Number one, it's on Washington, D.C., like vehicle registration license plate says end taxation without representation. Uh, curious, because the only other place I've seen it is when people are advocating for like lowering the voting age to 16 because people can legally work at age 16. That's and by point. the way, child labor back like rumors swirling back, around back America. In, back Yikes. in a big way. Yep. But there are a lot of ways to legally work below the age of 18, but it's especially applicable in like rural areas where people will need to go you know, work on a ranch or work on a farm. Right. They'll, they'll need to be able to make income so that their family can make ends meet. And so the complaint is that people who can work at that age can't actually vote at that age, but they have to pay taxes. And so people want to lower the voting age so that they can have some sort of representation. The point is that in both of these cases, both with young people that want to vote and with the District of Columbia, people want representation. Uh, you know, in, in theory, it's about having an actual voice in government as though the District of Columbia is somehow totally powerless. But when it was, when this term was originated, it wasn't that the colonists were interested in like getting a representative in parliament to advocate for their interests. Like, oh yes, the parliamentarian from Georgia has the floor. Like, come on, grow up. They just didn't want to pay taxes. So the mindset is totally different. And the fact that that slogan persists and is used for completely different reasons, I think is kind of fun and interesting. But you're right. It speaks to just how much we do not want to pay taxes. I mean, that's a, that's a foundational component of the declaration of this country's independence from its colonial overlords. Yeah, we don't we don't do that. And to say like in Europe and the, the the countries that are often made fun of here for paying taxes are like France and Sweden seems to be the ones that people gravitate towards because I guess they want to travel there or something. They pay a lot of taxes. They have public health care. Finland gives uh, newborns like a box and the box is like a crib. It serves as like a crib and it's got a bunch of stuff in it. Uh, yeah, the Finnish baby box is, is really remarkable and their yeah. infant mortality rate is consequently bottom basement they have excellent excellent immediate postnatal care for parents and babies and that is like they pay for it with their taxes they're totally chill to pay taxes here our evolution and our meme in our brain that the idea that we have is like we don't fuck with the government we don't pay taxes like you get off my lawn right now even on the other side of of the political aisle from the right wing people who are like no taxes under any circumstances the left people even the taxes that they want to do that's still low taxes by comparison. Just wanting to tax billionaires more is still low compared to what a, a lot of other countries do. Now, here's the, here's, let's get into the game theory part of this with the, the United true. States of America. We outnumber the government by quite a bit, I would well, say. Um, in, a, in a government of, for, and by the people, really, mm-hmm. we are the government. In, in, it's also, but your point's taken. Yes. Uh, what if we just... Forget what would happen. I don't care about the consequences, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> what if we just were like, uh, no, we're good. Just collectively, everyone was like, nah. And just decide to stop paying taxes. Correct. Well, I mean, if you take that chain of reasoning to its logical conclusion, like what if I decide not to comply with a government mandate? Well, then you will be fined. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, what if I decide not to pay that fine? Then enough fines, I will incur probably a civil penalty or a criminal penalty. Okay, well, what if I decide not to comply with that? Then I'll be found by law enforcement authorities, like basically just people with guns, and they'll come take me away and put me forcibly in a location where I don't want to be for a duration that is pre-decided by the justice system. And and that's just basically the way the justice system works. So 
if I choose not to comply, basically the only risk I have is what's the risk of me getting caught and made to actually pay consequences, either with my money forcibly taken from me or my time forcibly taken from, and my autonomy forcibly taken from me. And so the, the game theory question that we really have in front of us is what is the best way for a government to try to manage that problem from its perspective and get people to comply without having to expend the resources of like paying police officers to go track people down and arrest them for not paying taxes. Like what, what is the best, what's the, the Pareto optimum for the U S government in terms of getting people to pay their taxes? Yes. And it's, it's, it's interesting because like the people that would be required to like hold a hearing where I'm found guilty and then forced to pay a fine and then hold another hearing where I'm found guilty and forced to be jailed. And then those people's, to come and take me to the jail, then that jail to house me are all dependent on the money that I didn't pay. Yes. So the game theory part of this is that at a certain point, people have to pay. Otherwise, the thing that is deterring me from not paying, that system will fall apart, right? Yeah. So it's, people- a, it's a collective action problem that yes. requires participation. And so the, the questions that the government has is how, what levers are available for us to pull with legitimacy? Because, yeah. I mean, the government has to do things, do actions that are derived from its proper authority. What are the levers that it can pull in order to get people to participate in the system so that it continues to run smoothly and everybody can benefit from things that their taxes buy, like roads and public safety and fire response and all that kind of stuff. And Nick, I found this really interesting paper from uh, Martin uh, uh, Dufenberg and Katerina Nordblum. This is uh, from the Journal of Public Economic Theory, Volume Twenty Four, Issue One. Look at you, Science Five through Twenty Nine. Well, you know, we we gotta we gotta. We make should sure do that better. Yeah, we don't this isn't us coming up with yeah, this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And by the way, I do want to say unequivocally, we are not giving financial advice. We are not giving legal advice in any form ever on this episode or any other on the podcast. So please do not misconstrue this as us giving any. This kind is of nothing advice. but entertainment, and you all have Google yes. if you're listening to this. That's right. But I do want to talk about this paper that uh, that Martin and Katerina wrote. It's called Tax Evasion with a Conscience. They published it in 2021. Mm-hmm. And this is a really interesting premise. And it, and it gets at the heart of these game theory questions that we're asking about. How can the government optimize compliance without having to expend resources to like force people to do things? Yep. And so they begin with the question, how do moral concerns, like so like people's personal values, affect fraud and detection, for example, like in tax compliance and the need for audits. And the way that they go about addressing this question is through what's called an inspection game. And they model it with a set of decision trees that's, it's kind of like an expansion of the classic two by two cooperator defect model of uh, of game theory. And the additional factor that they have at play is that there's a possibility of if a, de- a person decides to defect, there's a, a possibility that they might be inspected by some higher authority and found out. So now the risk is not just how am I incorporating other people's responses if I decide not to cooperate. It's, okay, other people have responses and decisions, understanding that I don't cooperate. But then the second step is what's the risk that I'm going to be found out if I choose to defect? Mm-hmm. So this is a multi-layered component. And the way that they went about building this study was incorporating belief-dependent guilt, uh, the possibility of being aware or unaware that they're required to cooperate or not cooperate. So like people who don't know what taxes they're required to file or they don't know what the law is. And then they also incorporate third-party audience effects. And that to me is the most interesting part where 
it's it, it, it's not just a person in a vacuum deciding to pay taxes or not pay taxes and try to evade being captured or not evade being captured. It's everybody in a system, and they're aware that everybody else is also in the system making this exact same set of decisions. And they set up this kind of two-by-one-by-two-by-one by two by one decision tree where you've got two decisions, and they branch out, and it's dependent on cooperating or defecting, and then it's dependent on inspection or the possibility of evading inspection. And that's all couched within the context of everybody else in the system is making the same exact set of decisions. So their real question is, how do people's individual moral values and how does the element of guilt factor into the way that people navigate this decision tree? Yes. So, and this is not unique to paying your taxes. Very famously, uh, and I, I heard this on a radio station that I looked it up and it wasn't like, no one had ever defined it as what was going on. I'm sure that it's happened in legal papers or legal news or something. But when Napster came out, when Sean Parker, before he had a Lord of the Rings uh, wedding in the forest and destroyed the environment, he founded Napster. And Napster, of course, was this free online music sharing thing. He basically just got all the songs, put them in files, and then just gave it away for free. And that predated what became Spotify and App- Apple Music and iTunes and all that stuff. He did all of that with this program. It was super duper illegal. LimeWire, also illegal. But because everybody loved music, obviously, then they wanted to listen to it and they didn't want to pay 99 cents and then eventually $1.29 per song. Unbelievable. Look, there's nothing more than of an affront than logging in, trying to find your favorite artist's music and seeing that their music is not the 99 cents per song. You have to pay more than a dollar plus tax to listen to this song. How many times I got iTunes gift cards for like my birthday, Christmas to buy a couple songs was crazy. And it, it's uh, obviously Spotify is doing that. And that's a whole game theory thing that we're going to get into eventually. Like if you're yeah. a famous artist, Spotify is bad for you. If you're not, like you have to have it. So regardless, Napster would give away this music for free. And so would LimeWire. And they would, uh, you know, in exchange would give your computer viruses and shit. But they, which is fun. That was a great part of growing up in between, the, you know, 2000 and 2012. Was that was a real problem. cultural moment. People, if kind you don't of, know, kind of line, defining you, like yeah, our, you, before you before the main source of entertainment was like apps and social media and stuff. Like social media was on the rise, but really, it's like you you connect with your peers through music. Yes, for sure, mixed CDs and stuff. It was great. Oh yeah, but the music industry knew about this. They did not have the capabilities, sophistication, and the government did not have the interest to go after all the people that would would do this. So about once a year, they would find someone who stole a hundred, two hundred, three hundred, a thousand songs, just like the rest of us. And they would uh, metaphorically hang them by their thumbs until dead. They would go get them and they would sue them for like 50, 60 million dollars. And they would be like, go to jail. They, obviously, this mom, the single mom who's stealing music, can't pay the money. She would go to jail for like six months or something. And as a result of that, the, this served the purpose of don't fucking steal this music. They only had to do it once for their point to come, to come across. However, it didn't really work. I never stopped. I never thought that it would be a problem for me. And, and then eventually, LimeWare and the free stuff faded out and iTunes forced you to pay and all this other stuff happened. But for the longest time, I remember being like, this is not, it's not going to happen to me. Like, I'm not stealing as much as these people. They're not going to find it. It's a little different because the music industry is mad at their money and they're a third-party entity. But with the government, they have to... If you're not scared of A, being inspected or B, what happens if you're found out, none of this matters. They have to scare you enough, but they also can't scare you so much that they, the people in power using the money are no longer in power. They're either voted out or overthrown. Yeah, so, so you're talking about deterrence yes so the the example setting like my theory about dealing with like the deer that run around in green river is mm-hmm. and they're like not afraid of vehicles anymore it takes one hit them you got to set one example like drag mm-hmm. that carcass through the street by your 
uh, by your bull bar yep. in the front of your F-350 <laughs> on your way to go work at Tronox or FMC or whatever yeah, it's called. Whatever it's called, yeah. It takes one. So you're one. talking about deterrence, and you're saying that you, as a teenager, are not probably not really mindful. You probably weren't even aware that that story happened. Like You probably read about that after the fact, right? I'm probably like 17. I mean, I was not an adult, and that was I very clearly that was part of my thinking. It's like, ah, they're they yep. going to get me. Yep. So, so you weren't deterred. No. So now the question, Nick, and this this will relate back to the tax theory, is if you weren't deterred, did you feel guilty at all? And I'm not talking about like let's let's set aside the guilt of knowing that you single handedly by using LimeWire destroyed the family computer. Remember that one time that message popped up on the startup screen? Yeah, yeah, it was creepy as hell. So I we don't, completely uh, fried the family computer and we had to get another one. So I'm not talking about that guilt. I'm talking about <laughs> the guilt of you know you shouldn't be doing this thing because you're getting something for free that somebody else worked for, the artist worked for, and you're circumventing the system in a way that's not legitimate. Am did I, you feel bad about that? Did I feel guilty for stealing from the artists? No, I did not. Did I feel there guilty that I was doing something wrong? Like, I can understand stealing. And for me, like back in the day, like if you steal from Eminem, we're like, Eminem's rich, I don't care. Yeah, he's, yeah. He, he could be yeah. the first rapper to sell a million records. <laughs> what is that from? Watching MTV in 1997. Yeah, yeah, that uh, that's right. Um, that's what. Yeah, that's an old clip. So, yeah, no, I was, I was, I felt guilty, but more like I was going to get caught in the same way that I would feel guilty if like I stayed out too late or like had too many friends in the truck or, or something. Like I didn't feel real guilt towards stealing from Eminem. No. Yeah. So, so your moral values, and and I'm I'm. Look, player three, you can judge Nick as much as you want. Obviously. I, would, I think you were right to do so. Yes. But I think it speaks more obviously to the fact that the stakes were low. I mean, you're listening yep. to tunes. You're yep. jamming out with your bros, making a crappy mix CD, and your mix CDs were generally pretty crappy. Mm, eh, false. I, yeah. I was the drug dealer. I we okay. Green River, right. Wyoming was listening to my humps before the rest of you we had even heard about it. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, I was regardless, the stakes in this case are particularly low. Uh, but it's but it's a good example. I mean, your your guilt was less about you feeling bad about things and more yep. like you were afraid of being caught. So in other yep. words, the deterrent would have been the more prominent factor there sure. than guilt. So let's return to the tax document where the stakes are a little bit higher. I mean, you're sure. paying into a real world system with real world, like no kidding labor. And, and stuff and, that I want, that I want badly. Yeah, and, and stuff that society really depends on. I mean, Taxes go to pay for a lot of stuff like infrastructure for water and sewage, infrastructure for waste disposal, infrastructure for the postal system, infrastructure for roads, bridges, buildings, all kinds of stuff. Well, I don't know if you've read so, the news, but with China and Russia, um, the military being so well-funded usually is something that I kind of roll my eyes at. But at this moment in time, I'm like, huh, well, feels that's pretty nice. good. That's not yeah, bad. I'm not going not gonna to lie. Uh, I, it should be noted that the Pentagon has failed to pass no fewer than six audits. So, ugh. Yeah, which I, I mean, I don't want to start conspiracies, but like, are they incompetent or are they like, yeah, don't, that money's gone, don't fucking worry about it. Uh, I don't want to say, I, I think we would be giving a lot of credit. That's true. To people who maybe That's do true. not deserve such credit. That's true. I think that like, always, what is our, what is our, 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 our policy here? Err on the side of incompetence. Yes, never attribute to malice what could be attributed to incompetence. Yeah. <laughs> so now that we're talking about this, this higher stakes, stakes problem. Yeah. Uh, I want to get at the question 
uh, that uh, Doofenberg and Nordblom address in their paper. And so in the, in the first section, they ask the question, whose behavior is most affected by the presence of taxpayer guilt? So somebody who legitimately feels bad for not contributing to a system that they take advantage of every day. They say it may seem intuitive that it would be the taxpayer who is the most affected by the taxpayer's own guilt. So I, the player in the game, am most influenced by my guilt. Okay, that seems to make sense. But in much of our analyses, they say, the amount of evasion that they detect does not depend on the degree, the degree of guilt aversion. In other words, the presence of guilt is not the biggest factor in determining how many people are going to try to avoid paying taxes. Instead, the inspection rate is what's affected. So the guilt that I would feel as the taxpayer, that other taxpayers like me would feel, actually has more of an influence on the government's role in deciding how often to try to identify people who evade taxes. It's, it's really fascinating. Like a player's personal attribute affects a completely different part of the system. And they explain that in a, in a really interesting way. Uh, it, it's, it, uh, well, we'll, I'm going to scroll down to the conclusion of the paper here because they, they explain this in just such a fascinating way after going through all the decision trees and trying to connect the element of guilt with like how they would calculate the number of people who choose to defect or cooperate and the number of times that the government would choose to inspect or people try to evade inspections. Uh, And they say that uh, they're, you know, they're exploring how forms of guilt might shape behavior in an inspection game. Uh, They say, they say again, intuition might suggest that tax evaders feel guilty. And that means that they're more likely to comply. But the reality is if a tax authority, AKA the government, if it anticipates compliance that reduces incentives for inspection, so in other words, if it anticipates that people are going to continue to pay in the system and try to like avoid the hassle being inspected, that makes evasion actually more lucrative. So the overall equilibrium effect in most cases is null for the taxpayer. So it doesn't affect the taxpayer. Right. But the, ending, the end result is that the authority actually ends up inspecting less. So guilt is beneficial, not because it makes people more honest. It doesn't make people behave better, as you demonstrated with your Napster, LimeWire, yeah, song-stealing argument. For sure. You weren't, you weren't worried about that. But it does reduce the need for audits because people are more likely to comply. Which is interesting. Yes. So it's, it's, it's a personal trait that affects the behavior of a group, which in turn lowers incentives for, for defecting from that group. And as a result of that lowered incentive, then the government can now expend fewer resources on conducting inspections and is less likely to detect because they're less likely to find it. It's it's fascinating. So the guilt aspect of this, the guilt aspect of this from a game theory standpoint would indicate that we sh- there's a greater opportunity to defect because they are not going to be looking as much because they assume that you won't. Well, and I think I think when you say greater opportunity to defect, you're right in two senses. I think you're right in the sense that they're less likely to look because as you said they're less likely to look and that's what the analysis has found. But I also think there's a potentially higher payoff for people who stand to save more money by not paying into the tax system. Mm. And so who am I talking about? Us. Millionaires and billionaires. Yep. People sure. with a lot of money. I, I should say, you know, we, we're, we're not under the impression, like you know, in the US we have a, a progressive tax system where it's like you earn amount of income up to a certain point in the bracket. Yeah. And that money is taxed <laughs> at a certain percent. Right. Well, once you are above that amount, then the money that you kind of, built in that first tax bracket, that doesn't affect the rate at which any additional money is taxed. Right. And so as you progressively go up the chain, only the portion of your income that's in within that bracket, after subtracting like the lower brackets amounts, 
only that portion is taxed at a certain percentage. Yeah, let's explain this a little bit better because this is people don't get this and it is kind of weird to understand. So when you hear tax brackets, when you're like when you're learning civics in like, I don't know, third to ninth grade or wherever you learn like taxes and whatever, you think that, okay, so like if I make $50,000, I pay $50,000 worth of taxes. And if I make $60,000, I pay $60,000 worth of taxes. And if I pay, make a million, I pay, that's not how it works. You are tax a little bit more depending on how far you go up. So it's not like there's a threshold where if I make 61, I'm taxed in the 60 to 80 bracket. That's not how it works, which mm -hmm. I think a lot of people get hung up on that. It is like a compounding progressive thing where you would be taxed on the 1,000 extra that you, that you make into that bracket. So you would pay the $50,000 uh, that, that bracket, and then you would pay yep. $1,000 taxes on your $1,000. So it goes up and up and up and up, but it doesn't, you don't all of a sudden owe more money because you made $10,000 more. Right, exactly. And, and that the term for that is the effective tax rate. And that's, yeah. that's when you average the rate at which all of your earnings in the different brackets are taxed, the average amount, you could say that, okay, well, after factoring in all of those things, like because you're just summing different percentages, you're summing a percentage times a portion of income, and that equals the amount of money that was taken out. When you average all of that together, you can compare your original gross income to the original amount of money or to the total amount of money that was taken out of each individual bracket. And you can calculate a percentage from that. So that's your effective tax rate. That's not the same as just saying, oh, well, the government takes 40% of my taxes. Right. And I should also point out that, you know, I, I know there's somebody out there right now, player three, you are among us. I know there's someone out there right now saying, why don't we just do a flat tax rate? Why don't yes. we just have everybody in America paying their equal share and, call it good. We'll simplify the tax code. We'll get rid of all these brackets and all these benefits and it'll make it equal for all the billionaires and all this kind of stuff. And the reason for that, it took me the longest time to figure this out. And it's very simple and very intuitive, but nobody had really explained it. The reason you can't do a flat tax rate is because it's so unfair to people who are at the very bottom end of the tax bracket. Yeah. I mean, the average American does not make, I mean, the, the average, I'm, I'm going to Google average household income in America. And I'll Google median because we don't rely on averages in this house. No, we don't. We never rely on averages. But, uh, oh, and actually the first result was the median household income anyway. See, so I'm just going to use this for the sake of argument. What's the so mode? According to, uh, uh, according to the ASEC, and this is from the Peter G. Peterson Foundation, mm -hmm. median household income was $70,000 a year in 2021. And that was a decrease from 2020. Right, because, because of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah, and, and, so and, and interest rates if, and a bunch of other shit. So the idea of a flat tax would be like everybody pays in 20% or whatever. Yeah. Everybody play, pays in exactly the same percentage of their income. That doesn't work because it's unfair to people who don't make as much money as the ultra wealthy, the, the millionaires and billionaires. So let's say the flat tax was like 10%. All right, so a millionaire would have to pay $100,000 into taxes, but they still get to keep $900,000 of their income. Now, if you're looking at somebody who is like a grad student and right. they're making $20,000 a year, 10% is $2,000, but that could genuinely be like the amount of money that they need for rent and food. I, yeah. you know, I, I talked to, when I was in grad school and making a salary not dissimilar from that, I would talk to our, our Uncle Craig, shout out to Uncle Craig, really money savvy guy, really practical dude. He's, a, he's an educated man, but he's also very, uh, very wise in kind of a, a life skills type of way. Mm -hmm. And his suggestion to me was, well, when you get your paycheck, save half of it immediately just put half of it in the savings account don't touch it put it in your 401k put it in your Roth whatever right and I said well that would be great but if I take half of my paycheck out then I do not have enough money total to pay for my rent and food and he was kind of like taken aback by that but he was, well you know grad student salary it's not you know I'm, I'm, I'm not a working professional I'm on my way to becoming a working professional right and 
I don't think he quite realized like, oh, yeah, you can't just do a percentage because when you take the total into consideration, that doesn't leave enough money for people to like make a living. Right. So a flat tax is not the way to go because it is grossly unequal. And, you know, that's that's to say nothing of like the, the macroeconomic analysis of like, okay, how do you compare somebody's effective tax rates to the flat tax? Like what's the total amount of money that would be earned from the point of view of the U.S. government? So player three, uh, we're, we're not a flat tax advocacy household here <laughs> no the progressive um, tax system is is useful and valuable even though you can calculate the effective tax uh, but more more importantly i think that the really interesting takeaway here is that guilt affects the system individuals feelings and morals and personal values they affect the system and in turn they affect not just like the players who are like the the person with the feelings and moral values but they also affect other players like the inspection authority in the system i, I just think that's the most fascinating finding yeah, I think so too. And then it's almost like, and that's what the, the, our podcast and our, our show is about is kind of where the intersection of uh, being a human comes with game theory, because game, game theory is very simple in the, in that there's always a logical choice. You are either going to win, tie or lose always every single situation that could be possibly shoved into these models. There is a reasonable outcome. However, human beings make decisions. There are emotions uh, and there's a lot of uh, self and, and unit evolution within a family or a race or an ethnicity or a, an income group. There's a lot of group think there's a, there's a lot more to being a human than just making the logical decision. And the fact that now people are kind of calculating, uh, how these, this humanity weighs into this decision-making is all is really, really incredible. I kind of think it's going to be futile. I don't care how good the algorithm is or, or the mathematics, like they're never going to be able to predict the when someone just simply changes their mind we, we woke up one day with rockefeller and carnegie were just trying to outspend each other and then before you knew it they were trying to out donate each other and yep. like it just happened um they, they they wanted their name on everything that they get their name on and society benefited from from that like no question inarguably society is better because they did that but before that they were trying to out mogul each other they they changed it was illogical for them to give their money away their kids should have kept it theoretically if you follow game theory but that's not what they did and so th this the fact that guilt is now being analyzed as part of this is incredible i did listen to a podcast years ago and i tried to find it and i couldn't find it for the life of me a lot of europeans and asians not in china are kind of flabbergasted that Americans simply comply as much as they do. The There are a lot of countries in Europe where the populations just kind of call their bluff. I'm like, we know that you're not going to do it. We just collectively don't pay as much taxes as Americans. I think that the guilt is part of that, and I think that we have a much more aggressive... We say we don't, but I think that they're, um, it, Americans are a little bit more scared of their government or scared of being the person in their neighborhood that broke the law. I don't know what it is, but the, this podcast finding... It was really fascinating to me. So uh, I think the other part of, of taxation in the 21st century that's really interesting is that not dissimilar to the 1700s when we're talking about this, people are really, there is a real hatred toward the ultra wealthy now. Like There used to be a distrust and it has blossomed into just pure hatred. It would not be safe for some of the world's most famous billionaires to simply walk around the streets of some cities. It just would not be. Well, which is I, I, would also, I, I would also point out that while I, I think that is true, and I think that's true possibly for a couple of reasons. Number one, they're more in the public eye because we have the internet. Yeah, so you sure. can you can like read about the daily goings on of like the Jeff Bezoses and, and the Elon Musks of the world. Sure. But I would also argue separately that there's much more hatred and vitriol in the online, like in the very online world. Like the, oh, sure. the TikTokers out there are getting a lot of traction from making TikToks about billionaires bad, give me likes. 
people who who spend a lot of time on Twitter, you're, you're not going to have a popular take that, that involves nuance that like, well, actually what is really the fundamental role of wealth in society and how might that actually improve people's lives? You, there's no, there's no time and space for that. And that's fine. People can do online what they like. Uh, but I, I do think that if you step out into the real world where people don't spend like hours a day scrolling the web and, and watching crappy videos made by teenagers that I, I don't think the hatred and vitriol probably is as strong as like people in the online echo chamber would perceive. Maybe. Yeah. But yeah. I, that, that, that said, I mean, you know, the, I, I, if I'm, if I'm a billionaire, I'm not going anywhere without, yeah, without some. And, and part of that this here. time of the year, it, it seems like a lot of these mega wealthy people aren't paying as much taxes or it isn't hurting them as much as it's hurting the average citizen, which appears to be true. And it appears to be legal. I mean, that's, I mean, the rule rules is rules, man. And if you, if, if it's your basketball, you can just take it and go home. If it would be stupid of them to voluntarily pay taxes if they don't have to. Right. Yeah. I mean, look, that that's, that's part of the deal here. Yeah. The, 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 the feedback loop with guilt that comes out of this finding is dependent on this this is this is the key point i think guilt means that the authority that's in charge of inspections in the inspection game the presence of guilt means that they will anticipate a lot of compliance yeah they'll be able to say look there's a correlation between people feeling bad about something and then choosing to act differently they feel bad about about defecting so they're going to cooperate so that means I don't need to spend time and resources verifying. Like I can, I can, I can skip the verification step and I can just right. say trust. But when you have somebody who a knows the financial system and B has a lot of wealth, that's what we talked about earlier. Like their payoff for not participating in the system, that's potentially a lot higher. Yeah. If I choose not to submit my taxes and if I choose to just withhold everything, I increase the risk of losing a lot of money and losing a lot of station in life by being found out. If they are not found out if they're found out for not cooperating, then they can pretty much pay for whatever civil penalties are going to come their way. Like they're not going to arrest Elon Musk for failing to pay taxes. They're going to file a civil suit and he's going to have to end up paying fines that are probably not as high as the tax amount that he would have to pay anyway. Right. And he'd be able to get out of the system. So it, it, it is a lack of equality, but you know, there are also a lot of other factors at play. Like for example, what form money takes, like if you have money just set aside in right. escrow, that's not the same as if you have money that is in like real estate or some other illiquid asset. And the tax law is is complicated and it's hard to understand, but it's a lot easier to understand if you actually pay attention. And like, if you're a tax professional, for example, it's it's not like some you don't need to Rosetta Stone to understand taxes. Like, you just need to study the tax form, to, to yeah. the, the tax law. But the problem is, it's so complex and there's so much of it. The average person just doesn't have time to learn all of this stuff. Yeah, and it's Especially boring. It it's incredibly them. boring unless you're yes. one of those people where it's not boring. It's boring. Yeah, if it doesn't boring, affect yeah. you, then there's yeah. no reason for you to know about this. Like if you're right. if you're not investing a lot in a lot of money or a lot of money in stocks and bonds and, and you know, if you're not playing the stock market, then capital gains doesn't mean a whole lot to you. No, if you're an early working professional without that kind of thing. Like it, it doesn't there's no reason for you to understand what Elon Musk's tax burdens are. Yeah, and, and you watch these billionaires and you're like, Jeff Bezos is having an ancient bridge in the Netherlands removed so he can get his yacht. And you're like, well, it appears as if you didn't give the government as much money this year as I did. It didn't hurt you as much. I would like it to hurt you as much. And this is how the French cut off a bunch of heads in the 1700s. So like, I'm starving. You have so much money that you're throwing up your first meal so that you can eat a second meal. We're going to kill you now. And It's a baller move. Yeah, it is a baller move, which, by the way, we were you belittle the French protests. They broke into a bank. This is not... I don't, I don't think that there are going to be bloody streets 
like in the 1700s, but this... There are burning streets. They are... We've, we, the French are a violent people. People, we make fun of them because they didn't invade Iraq with us, which uh, jokes on us on that one. But they're a, they protest quite a bit. So one other thing I wanted to mention was that there are so many businesses that have made a shit ton of money from, boy, I want to say 2016 when apps really became apps to now. And of course they, <laughs> you know what I mean, right? Like, oh, like here's Microsoft Word, but then Word became like, you don't actually need a computer. You can do your assignment on your phone. Yeah. Uh, when apps became apps, a lot of companies and still today have made an ass ton of money by being a subscription model where you're like seven ninety nine a month, whatever. And then you forget about it and you forget to cancel it. And Planet Fitness makes you go in to cancel it in the middle of a fucking pandemic, those psychopaths. But they make a ton of money banking on people not wanting to cancel. I pose to you, Chris, that America would collect at least 50% less money and the compliance would be an astronomical and unmanageable problem if it wasn't so simple to have your company simply deduct them right away and that it behooves the population to not do that and to save it and earn interest and then pay them later. We are like, oh yeah, my company will take it out. If everybody stopped doing that, like, no, give me my money. I'll deal with that. I think the situation would be a little bit different, which is the government being really smart. Like, you know, yeah, we'll just no, take it, it is, for you. It is possible to withhold your taxes so that yes. you could say like, all right, don't company government don't take my taxes mm-hmm. out right now. I want to file those taxes later on, and then I'll owe the government when it comes to tax season. But it's just seven ninety nine a month, Chris. Just well, sign up today. Well, that's that's a good point. So <laughs> the average person, I would say, is probably not well positioned to do that, just given how much money is spent uh-huh. on useless subscriptions. I mean, I myself am subscribed to a gym. I haven't seen a bench press in <laughs> weeks. Week, and months, years. So I, I I do think you're right about that. It's the onus then becomes. It, the onus then falls on the person who wants mm-hmm. to do the tax withholding right. until such time as they want to pay it. And, and you know, there there are good reasons to to do that, too, if you have enough capital. I mean, yeah. if you have $10,000 to invest, you can earn a lot more interest. You can get a lot more return from the stock yeah. market. You can get a lot more value than you would be able to do if you had, say, $6,000. Right. And so there are, there are potentially financial reasons to to do withholding, but I do think you're right that the U.S. government is is taking the smart approach where the default is the government and through your company will withhold your taxes and, yep. and then you will get a refund later on because the average person is not in a position to have, they don't have the financial savvy, they don't have the capital, and frankly, people don't have the wherewithal. They have too many other obligations the energy. Yes, to the be energy. able to actively participate in taxes more than like spending an hour or two on TurboTax every year. So the, the people on TikTok and YouTube and th- that write books and give advice for taxes and just money in general, they all have the same general advice. And it is the same for working out. It's the same for being successful. You have to be disciplined and you have got to take notes. The people will tell you, like, how do you, how do you save money? How do you do taxes? Like, you got to keep your book straight. What advice do I want? Like, what rebate can you get? Save your receipts. Figure out what will save you money. Like, for example, and this is our big, big successful moment, because this podcast now generates revenue. You think I'm not going to get an LLC and then the government's going to pay for my Zoom account? Hell yeah, bro. We, the only we, way to make this more legit would be to not report that income and then call the IRS's bluff. Like, you know what? Come audit this. Audit yeah. this podcast. That's right. And then I'll be like, yeah, actually, I, you know, it was a business. I didn't get a business license. And... Um, I, I just, I, I'll get to do the LLC thing and I'll be like, yeah, we reported a loss this year. Damn. Yeah. You'll have to help Oopsie out with doodle. that. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's super, uh, that's super unfortunate. We'll get you out of here on this. 
IRS offers free guided tax preparation for annual gross income of $73,000 or less. Seventy, yeah, and you should take it. Keep you your should. books tight. Keep save your receipts. If you get a receipt over, if you buy something over a hundred bucks, and get a paper receipt and take a picture of it. That's right. Just do it, and then, or don't. Whatever. Just let the government do whatever they want. We're gonna revolt anyway. Who cares? Roll the dice, baby. Yeah, yeah, come, yeah. You know what? IRS, come get it. I saw a TikTok of a guy that's like, you know what? I can't pay the fine. Put me in jail. And the judge's like, we can't put you in jail. And the guy's like, I'm not paying the fine. 